what's up, everyone? This is the world premiere of Must Go Faster, a pop culture podcast for the people. I'm your co-host, Ben Brandlinger, broadcasting from Brooklyn and out in Long Beach, California. It's Robert Denfeld. How's it going, man? Hey, guys. Everything's uh, everything's good, Ben. Thank you. It's good to finally be doing this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So on this, uh, this is our first official episode, and we did a short intro episode that you can check out, which gives you some background on how we became friends, what you can expect on this podcast, and why we named it Must Go Faster as a tribute to the actor Jeff Goldblum. You can hear that intro episode on our SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes feed. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and SoundCloud at MustGoFasterPod. Our website is MustGoFasterPod.com. You can email us at MGFPod at gmail.com for any comments or ideas. Uh, subscribe to our iTunes, Stitcher, or RSS feed. And if you like what you hear, uh, please rate us on and review us on iTunes. It's a really helpful way to help get the word out about Must Go Faster. Also, shout out to Justin Rowland for helping out with the design artwork for this podcast and to John Bell for writing the intro music, making us look and sound better than we actually do. Uh, so yeah, huge props to them. Thanks very much, guys, again. Um, and yeah, so we also wanted to just add briefly, we know it's nearly impossible to escape from the insanity happening in Washington, D.C. right now, uh, but we're going to try to do our best to keep these things separate uh, and focus this podcast on pop culture uh, without you know, bringing, bringing up things that everybody's hearing enough about. Uh, and so this will be a separation of pop and politics, if you will. Um, and again, uh, please email us at MGF, uh, mgfpod at gmail.com if you have any feedback. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and make this sort of an interactive podcast eventually. So, uh, yeah, and thanks for listening <laughs> right off the bat. Yeah, definitely. So having said that, in this episode, we're going to uh, talk about this year's Oscars and some of our favorite songs of 2017 so far. But first, we're going to kick things off with three quick recommendations of uh, three new shows that Rob and I have been blown away by visually. Let's start with The Young Pope. All right. So The Young Pope is the HBO series, uh, 10-episode series. Um, They have all aired now on the American HBO network. Uh, they, They actually aired first in in the UK and some other European countries a little earlier uh, last year um, in Italy obviously first it's an Italian Italian TV drama series but it's uh, it's English language so there's no not a ton of subtitles there are some but it's uh, created and directed by Paolo Sorrentino uh, who's a well-known uh, Italian filmmaker um, he's he's best known probably for writing and directing uh, a movie called The Great Beauty. Uh, which won the Best Foreign Language Film Oscar in 2013. And I hadn't heard of the movie until watching the Oscars and went back and watched it and really loved it. It's a really cool, creative, uh, interesting, interesting film. And so when I heard he was making this show, I was really excited. Um, It stars, the show stars Jude Law and Diane Keaton, probably the two biggest American actors in the show. Or I guess uh, Jude Law is not American, but <laughs> British. Um, so Jude Law plays Pope Pius the Thirteenth, uh, and he, obviously he is the young Pope. Yes. Uh, his his name is Lenny uh, Bellardo before he is the Pope, and he's the newly elected uh, former Archbishop of New York. And so we sort of pick up as soon as he becomes the young Pope. Diane Keaton plays 
sister Mary, who raised Lenny, and she's an American nun. Uh, She raised Lenny in an orphanage, and a lot of the story is about Lenny's struggle with the fact that he's an orphan and trying to find his parents, and are they still out there? Are they still alive? But it's a beautiful show, really creative uh, filmmaking. At times, it's like a little out there and sort of like a dreamscapes going on in your it's a little, it's not for everybody, I would say, but... Um, we think our listeners would dig it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. It's a, a beautifully shot, and uh, a shout-out to Silvio Orlando, who plays Cardinal Angelo uh, Voiello, who, <laughs> I think I got that right, probably my favorite character on the show, just a really great performance. Um, and yeah, it's it's a really cool show. I definitely recommend it for anybody. It's not, you know, it's obviously religious in nature and in topic with the, you know, the head of the Catholic Church, but uh, a lot of it is not really about that. It's more just deep emotional human drama things, and it it really cut deep deeply a few times that caught me off guard a little bit. So yeah, uh, that's the Young Pope on HBO. Yeah, it made you maybe shed a few tears of like, what what's happening here? What's this emotional discharge? Oh I know. Was young, this young salty like discharge? <laughs> right, right, right. Salty discharge. Uh, yeah, I mean, as you were saying, I think the show's been a huge critical darling. It has uh, very original subject matter. I don't think there's ever been a show quite like it, you know, with this kind of story and set in the Vatican. And it seems like the, the show's creator really had a very clear vision of what he wanted this show to be. Definitely. Didn't really compromise on that vision, which you can always respect in any any creative field. And uh, yeah, yeah, I would... It's, it's hard not to compare... Sorry, sorry, it's hard not to compare it to season one of uh, uh, True Detective because it's 10 episodes of the same director. It feels like a 10-hour movie, basically, which, uh, you know, it's... Mm-hmm, very cinematic. Very cinematic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think I would say it's been the most buzzed about show so far this year. That in addition to Legion, which segues us into our next recommendation. So Legion is a new show on FX from the creator of uh, Fargo, Noah Hawley. And it's based off a lesser known comic book character from Marvel, one that's connected to the X-Men series. And it follows a guy named David who's diagnosed with schizophrenia as a child and has been in and out of psych hospitals for years. And he slowly realizes he has these rare powers that he has trouble controlling. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Uh, I'm so exhausted from comic book movies and shows. They're everywhere. There's 10, in, you know, ridiculous comic book blockbusters a year that were that are released. Why should I care about another one that I know nothing about, you know, a character that isn't necessarily as well known? Well, my answer for that is the showrunner, Noah Hawley. So he's, uh, you know, the brains behind the entire operation, and he's proven that he can make truly incredible next level television with Fargo in particular season two, which is one of my favorite seasons in the history of television. It's an absolute masterpiece. And Me too. That's something again, you should check out. But mm-hmm. with Legion, Noah Hawley, he's in the prime of his career right now. This is coming right after, you know, season two of Fargo and Legion feels fresh and new. It's, it's kind of on a different plane than all of their comic book shows that have come before it. It, it can be very funny and playful, but also incredibly tense and at times disturbing. And there's four to five sequences in the first episode that I think will really blow your mind visually that you'll kind of want to go back and watch over and over mm-hmm. again and wonder how the hell did they pull this off? Yeah. And uh, I read that it's influenced, influenced by 
a lot of British movies from the 1960s and that uh, Noah Hawley wanted the show to sound like Dark Side of the Moon, which I thought was a really cool tidbit. Uh, just kind of talking to the composer of the, of the show's music. What's that? That's I've, how never, I've never heard of sound. Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> Dark, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some obscure album. No, of course, we're kidding. Uh, the classic <laughs> album from Pink Floyd. I, I had to put that uh, disclaimer in there that you were kidding, Rob. <laughs> Thank you. People, didn't Clearly. want people to turn this right. podcast on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, it, it'll remind you, uh, Legion will remind you a bit of Mr. Robot in terms of the setting and Similar to Young Pope, there are a lot of dreamscapes and, you know, kind of this question of what's really happening versus, you know, what's reality and what isn't. And the plot does get a bit complicated, Mm -hmm. but I think um, everything the show does well totally supersedes that. And, uh, you know, you can kind of just get lost in the story and you don't don't have to worry about figuring everything out. It's supposed to be a mystery. And, um, yeah, I think this is going to be, you know, the second air just aired this past Wednesday. And um, I think it's going to be a show that a lot of people are going to be talking about over the next several weeks. Definitely. And uh, yeah, you can check it out on the FX app. And I just want to say, yeah, FX is in general, I think with the addition of Legion, it's really solidified itself as kind of the best network for original programming. So, yeah. you know, you have Atlanta, you have Fargo, Louie, the people versus OJ, the Americans, and now Legion, in addition to others, they kind of have the most consistent track record. Right. And I think they've kind of taken the crown from, HBOs and AMCs of the world. Yeah, it's hard to argue right now. Um, yeah, so this show, like Ben said, everybody's sort of, at least people that I talk to, are worn out by the comic book world and just the amount of content that's being created in that world. But uh, this is a, a fresh take and really interesting. You know, it starts out as a, the the pilot episode starts out as more of a psychological drama in this insane asylum, and then it starts to go into the X-Men world and then by the very end of the pilot we're in we're, we're in like full-blown mutant bonanza action sequence so uh, we almost named this podcast mutant bonanza <laughs> <laughs> yeah so FX now app uh, it airs Wednesdays at 10 o'clock if you want to watch it on TV Yes, and it's also available on the FX app um, where you can stream it anytime. So that is Legion. We both highly recommend that as a new show that that just started uh, a few weeks ago. Our third recommendation of this episode is a new documentary series on Netflix called Abstract, The Art of Design. So you want to tell us a little bit about that one, Rob? Sure. So yeah, this is the new uh, documentary series from Netflix uh, who have become sort of known for their documentary series over the past couple of years. Um, this is an eight-part series focusing on the world of design uh, in all different elements and, and fields of design. So quickly, uh, the eight different fields are illustration, footwear design, stage design, architecture, automotive design, graphic design, photography, and interior design. So if you enjoy any of those categories of art or are interested in the process of creative design and you know you enjoy documentaries uh this is a really well made uh beautifully shot and really creative each episode is done by a different director and they all have their own feel um they you know they all look similar i guess but they're uh i would just say they they all have their own uh sort of presence and they focus each episode focuses on one person in that given field who is 
sort of a rock or uh, at the top of their field, I would say. Uh, it's hard to argue. They're the, ro- the rock stars of design. Yeah, exactly. The rock stars of design, if you yeah, will. Yeah, good way yeah. to put it. Um, so, yeah, it's a really, really cool series and uh, highly recommend it um, for anybody looking for a new documentary. And, uh, you know, you'll learn a lot and it's it's really cool. Yeah, I was also going to add that the style is somewhere similar, somewhat similar to Netflix's Chef's Table, but it's a bit more whimsical and the tone isn't as pretentious, I would say. So Chef's Table is a similar documentary style, but focuses on different chefs where this is focusing on different creatives in the design field. But uh, yeah, I highly recommend this as well to anyone that's interested in any kind of visual or design aesthetic. Mm-hmm. There's a casual pace to the documentary and it's almost something you can almost fall asleep to, I, 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 you know, in a good way. And it's it's very inspirational. So if you're if you're a graphic designer, photographer, illustrator, uh, you can definitely use it as you know inspirational juice to get going. And um, for sure, yeah, I think one thing I wanted to mention quickly about Netflix that I feel like hasn't gotten enough love just since we're talking about it is that they recently, about a month or two, added the feature where you can now download Netflix shows and movies onto your tablet, phone, or laptop yeah. for offline consumption. Good point. And I just want to say that I don't like to use the word game changer. It's kind of cliche, but in this case, I think that's real, and I, I think that's like a feature. If you're not aware of it, you know, if you're traveling, need for have you know a crappy internet connection, and want to download these shows, you now can do that with Netflix. So that's something you could do with the abstract, the art of design as well. So good point. Uh, adding it out there wasn't didn't feel like it was getting enough attention. So you know, we're also uh, paid. We got paid by Netflix. So <laughs> yeah, no, I'm kidding. Um, but uh, so that is the abstract, the art of design uh, that rounds off our three recommendations of this episode. Um, so the Young Pope, Legion, and Abstract: The Art of Design. Definitely, Rob and I, I think you should check all three of those out. What is that? Is that a new symbol? I can't tell. Doctor Banks. So now we're going to talk about the 89th Academy Awards, which airs this Sunday, hosted by Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, what you just heard was a clip from Arrival, which is nominated for eight Oscars, including Best Picture. Rob and I have always been huge fans of the Oscars. It's been one of our you know, favorite things to talk about. We spent many years in college discussing and debating winners, losers, snubs, etc., And I think the award show, it can be an easy target to poke fun of, but it's still by far the most legitimate award show that we have. You know, if any award show was quote unquote important and none of them really are in the grand scheme of things, (laughs) it would be the Academy Awards. And right, right. No, this is, this is life or death. This is life, man. Um, I've always respected how they, they nominate and spread awareness to films that otherwise would hardly ever be seen yeah. or wouldn't be able to find that large audience they deserve. And the Oscars do this every year. You can point to, you know, since it started, multiple examples of films that no one would ever check out or hear of unless the Academy kind of gave them a spotlight. Right. So we'd like to uh, talk about some of this year's nominations, kind of looking at the field. And I think, you know, the Oscars in general have become very predictable. I think as far as who's going to win and lose the awards, especially with the rise of, of blogs and, you know, other sites that kind of track the odds for months of who's going to win and all the other award shows that precede the Oscars. Right. So the Golden Globes, the SAG Awards, et cetera. They're all very good, you know, indicators that kind of predict, okay, you know, the Golden Globes, yeah, it's not, it's not like 
those winners are exactly who's going to win, but it can give you a strong indication of how voters are leaning and critics. Uh, I was going to say some people's, uh, you know, backlash against the awards are that it's become sort of this political process where everybody is pitching their movie or their performance. And it's this whole meet and greet series of, you know, you have to put yourself out there so much just to get recognized and like some people don't want to do that and you got to market yourself extremely well yeah and there's like an oscar type movie you know right which i don't really fully agree with i think i think they do a pretty good job of getting the best movies of the year at least recognized somewhat uh you know obviously there are errors and omissions every year but uh it's it's like you said the best as far as award shows go yeah the best gauge of what were the best movies last year um so yeah, where do you want to where do you want to start with the nominations here? Yeah, so I think I just wanted to point out. I mean, you know, I think La La Land will will kind of dominate the awards given that it was nominated for fourteen different categories, actually tying the record. Um, it, it was tied with All About Eve and Titanic, mm-hmm. and I, I think that'll you know a big storyline will be just how much that kind of dominated for a variety of reasons, and I think. I think it's deserving of that of that kind of love. But, you know, we also wanted to take a look at some of the lesser talked about categories and storylines that stood out to us. So, yeah, Rob, what, what kind of jumped out to you kind of scanning through the nominees is something we should be looking at closer. Um, well, I mean, I think there are a lot of close races this year, um, mm-hmm. f- especially for the acting awards, um, you know, like best best leading actor or best actor in a leading role is an interesting category this year. There's Casey Affleck for Manchester by the Sea, uh, Ryan Gosling for La La Land, and Denzel Washington for Fences are probably the three favorites. Or And I think, honestly, they're all going to get votes, a lot of votes, and I think either any of those three people could win, which is which is rare. I mean, it's usually between two people. Uh, and then, so there's also Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge and Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic. Um, I don't think those two people have a chance, but uh, obviously they gave great like, performances. But <laughs> right, uh, right. yeah, so it's an interesting category this year. I think a lot of people are thinking Casey Affleck, um, but Denzel Washington won the SAG Award. He's been coming on strong. Yeah, yeah. and He's Ryan Gosling, you know, is the people's favorite <laughs> uh, everybody loves uh, some gosling yeah, in their I mean, life <laughs> he's absolutely absolutely he's undeniably dreamy <laughs> yeah and then also actress actress in a leading role is an interesting category this year so the two big heavy hitting acting awards uh that that is uh that category is led by emma stone for la la land um natalie portman for jackie meryl streep for florence foster jenkins you know, who, who cares about Meryl Streep? What's she ever done? Um, Isabel, <laughs> Isabel Huppert, or Hubert for Elle, um, which is a movie that... Yeah, I heard that was really good. Yeah, uh, neither of us have seen, but we've both heard really good things about her performance. She may sneak up and win that award. She won the Golden Globe for it. And then Ruth Naga for Loving, which I've heard is another great performance, and we have not seen that movie. Um Emma Stone's probably the favorite to win this award. Natalie Portman is getting a lot of attention. Um, I was going to say, yeah, Natalie Portman, you know, I saw Jackie when it first came out. And honestly, her performance is as good as acting gets. I mean, it's Daniel Day-Lewis level good. And I don't think, 
I don't think she'll win necessarily, but I don't think her performance is being talked about enough. I mean, she completely transforms into the character of Jackie Kennedy, you know, physically the way she appears, but sounds and her, you know, just, it's a really, really powerful performance and uh, one that I think she hasn't been getting enough credit for. So uh, see Jackie, I mean, she's worth seeing alone. I think it's the best performance of her career. And I know she won for Black Swan a few years ago, but I would say this is a more impressive performance overall. Cool. Yeah, so then the you know the actor in supporting role uh, has some big names and actress in a supporting role. We don't necessarily need to go through all of them. Uh, supporting role, uh, Viola Davis is likely to win for Fences. Some people are saying uh, she should have been nominated for Best Actress, not not in a supporting role. Um, but you know that's I'm not really sure how that's determined. But yeah, she's likely to win that. Yeah, and then so. Let me ask you the same question. What sure. what are some categories that you're looking at as tight races or uh, may have a surprise winner? Because you said they are the the Academy Awards are somewhat predictable. There's always at least a surprise or two every year. Yeah, there's usually something that people are a little bit shocked by, and maybe even the person that won is shocked by. So yeah, what are you what are you looking at? What categories? Yeah, so a few things that stood out to me. I think the animated feature film category is particularly strong this year. Uh, so you have, you know, Zootopia, you have Moana, or Moana, not exactly sure how that's pronounced, something like that. Mm. Uh, you have Kubo and the Two Strings. And I think those three, in their own right, you know, got a tons of critical acclaim and people love going to see the, those films. And I think uh, that's a really strong category this year. I noticed that Finding Dory was snubbed a bit, which I actually watched recently and I found to be rather delightful. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, Pixar, they're usually, you know, every time they put out a movie, it's you, you can almost like, it's a shoe-in for the, the best animated category. Right. I thought it was interesting that they didn't get placed this year, but I think that category has been very strong. I think Zootopia will win ultimately, which mm-hmm. was really strong. I mean, I think it had, you know, it appealed to adults and kids. It had some great songs i want to say that the song for zootopia try everything by shakira Mm -hmm. is a banger um in that i think it is a uh you know really catchy pop song and it's actually not nominated for best original song and i think that is an outrage yeah more or less no um but yeah i think that yeah real quick let me add to this category um like you said, it's a it's an amazingly strong field this year. Um, just the fact that Finding Dory was not nominated, and that's the that was the big Pixar release this year, is is notable. Um, I wanted to shout out Sausage Party and the the movie Sing. Uh, both oh yeah animated features that I I loved both of those this year, and the fact that neither one is nominated. Uh, I understand sort of Sausage Party. It's sort of the the raunchy comedy, but. Yeah, just the fact that those didn't get nominated tells you about the, the, about the category this year. Uh, the other two movies, uh, My Life as a Zucchini and The Red Turtle are the other two nominees. Um, I have not seen either of those. Uh, they must be good. Right, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think um, also, you know, we're huge proponents of cinematography in films, and I think that's a field that's in general not as talked about as much but if you're really into like the craft of filmmaking is always one that you know a race to keep the eye on um i think you know arrival la la land and moonlight are all nominated there all of them were beautifully shot i could kind of see arrival i think la la land's the favorite but i could see arrival pulling the upset there it's yeah. uh, shot by this 
young up and coming cinematographer. Uh, his name is Bradford Young. Mm-hmm. He did the cinematography for Selma. And he's actually doing, uh, he's going to be the DP for the upcoming Han Solo movie, mm. which is coming out in 2018. So I think, uh, yeah, he's he's a cinematographer to keep your eye on. And I think he could come away with, with the Oscar in that category. Sure. Uh, another category that's always interesting and it's you know one of the most talked about is best director and what i always find interesting about best director is that it's typically uh you know indicates what the five nominees would be for best picture if they the academy was still only selecting five so whenever you see you know the the academy awards expanded the best picture field from anywhere from six to ten nominees back in 2010 it used to be just five Mm -hmm. and uh you know this year the five are for director arrival la la land manchester by the sea hacksaw ridge and moonlight Mm -hmm. and so i think that's kind of the academy's way of saying hey if we only nominated five for for best picture this year those would be the five that's a good point and uh I'm really I'm really surprised by Hacksaw Ridge there. I mean, I know Hollywood loves a comeback story, and Mel Gibson has had a big, I don't know, up and down, complicated legacy in Hollywood, and it's crazy that now, you know, he's in the running for Best Director, and I actually saw that he's one of the top choices to direct the sequel to Suicide Squad, oddly. Interesting. Which I heard was one of the worst movies of the last five years, but it's interesting. That <laughs> I did not see uh, that. Uh, yeah, I did not see that either. Do not recommend Suicide Squad, even though we haven't seen it. But uh, I thought it was interesting that he was being, uh, you know, pegged as being a potential fit for that. Yeah. Um, I think Best Documentary, OJ Made in America, is the lock of the millennium. <laughs> I've never been more certain on anything in my life right. that OJ Made in America will win will win Best Documentary. However, I, I have heard a lot of good things about 13th, okay. uh, which is, I know, on Netflix, and I, I've heard a lot of really great buzz about. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's interesting. You know, it seems like the documentary field is, is very strong this year as well. Um and yeah, I mean, those were kind of a few of the things that, that, that stood out to me. I thought it was kind of funny that uh, Michael Bay got a nomination for sound mixing for 13 hours. <laughs> you know, what would the Academy Awards be without one Michael Bay nomination? I <laughs> and I think the um, the writing original screenplay category mm-hmm. is pretty interesting. So um, I, I think, you know, Hell or High Water and The Lobster had really strong scripts. Um, who do you who do you see winning winning that category for original screenplay? That's a good question. Let me let me just find it here. Um, yeah, Hell or High Water is a yeah. The Lobster is a really interesting movie. Um, original script. Yeah, I saw it in the theater months ago. I I don't. It was seems like a year ago, but um, yeah, it's a really original story to say the least. Um, but I, I think Manchester by the Sea is what I would vote for. But it's, you know, La La Land is in there also, which was written by uh, Damien Chazelle, who we'll get to. Um, Hell or High Water, 20th Century Women is to round out the nominees. Um, yeah, that's a really tough one. I think all of them are really creative works and amazing original screenplays. Um, it's a tough one. Got you. Yeah, yeah. It's a really strong category. I think my instinct says La La Land, you know, if it kind of just right. continues its domination, will probably probably win almost everything that it's nominated for. But uh, yeah, there are a lot of really strong screenplays in there. And, you know, a few other nominees that stood out to me, I think going back to Best Supporting Actor, mm-hmm. so Michael Shannon in Nocturnal Animals, I thought was 
perfect. Yes. Uh, if you guys haven't seen Nocturnal Animals, I've heard, you know, I think it got some, some mixed reviews. I overall, I, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It's very intense and does some interesting things. And, and Michael Shannon was the standout for me. And I'm really glad that he's been a really great career actor, uh, has been nominated before, but has never won, I believe. So uh, I don't know if he's going to win, you know, on Sunday, but it's great to see that he's been recognized for his work in Nocturnal Animals. And also, he's 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 awesome in that. Definitely. Uh, sorry to cut you off there. And also in that category, uh, Marishala Ali for Moonlight, I think. Is oh yeah, he's the probably front the runner to win. Um, he gave just an amazing performance. He's also amazing in uh, Hidden Figures, which is a nominee for Best Picture. Um, he's he's a small part in that movie, but I thought he had the best scene. Uh, in in the film uh, when he proposes uh, if you've seen the movie uh, he had a great year so uh, I'm looking for him to win but Michael Shannon was brilliant in Nocturnal Animals like you said uh, it was interesting he he uh, Michael Shannon was not nominated for the Golden Globe for best supporting and his co-star oh, really? yeah his co-star um, in the movie who I'm blanking on his name. Oh yeah. Like Ryan Taylor Johnson. Ryan Taylor Johnson. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Won the award for that movie and he's not even nom. Aaron Taylor Johnson. Sorry. Uh, Aaron Taylor. Known for like kick ass. Uh, He won, he won the golden globe for, for, uh, I remember that. So it's interesting. I I don't really know how that works, but they were both great. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, uh, also, yeah, one note on Best Original Song. I know uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda mm-hmm. of Hamilton fame actually wrote all the music for Moana. Mm-hmm. And I heard the music in there was amazing. He's an incredible songwriter. I mean, he made Hamilton, so I don't want to say that. <laughs> yeah. um, so I could see I could see uh, that winning for, for Best Original Song as well. He's had a good run. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a, you know, mildly talented. Uh, so... One one kind of like larger storyline I wanted to quickly talk about was, you know, there's been this backlash to La La Land, and this happens every year whenever there's a movie that just gets swept up in all the awards, is getting all the attention. In our culture now, it inevitably there'll be backlash against that movie, right. and I think La La Land has gone kind of past that backlash. I think people now more people are kind of for it as we lead up to the Oscars. But I want to say, you know, the director of La La Land, this guy Damien Chazelle, He's 32 years old. He made Whiplash a few years ago, mm-hmm. which was, you know, about as strong of a directorial debut as you can make. Yeah, that was my favorite and, movie of that year, actually. Oh, yeah. I, I rewatched it, and I think it's expertly made. I think La La Land as a whole is a stronger film. And uh, I, I think, you know, I've listened to a lot of interviews with, with Damien Giselle, and he's totally like a student of classical film. Uh, really, really smart guy. And like I said, he's 32, and I'm getting the sense that this guy could be the next great American director. I mean, he's got Whiplash and La La Land under his belt. Mm-hmm. He's probably going to win Best Director and you know Best Picture with La La Land this year. He kind of reminds me of, like, could he be someone like the next Paul Thomas Anderson right. when he came onto the field in the 90s with Boogie Nights and Magnolia? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would put Whiplash and La La Land, you know, obviously those are very extremely different movies we're not trying to say you know magnolia to la la land i mean that's that's about <laughs> as different as two movies get but i think it's not being talked about enough is this this guy is an absolute wonderkind and could be the next great american director yeah. and his next project is called first man and it's about the life of uh neil armstrong and it's played by who will be played by ryan gosling and i, I found it interesting that he's working with gosling again it kind of reminds me of you know 
when uh, Scorsese would work with you know Robert De Niro in the early part of his career, uh-huh. or in uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio. So uh, I, I think that's not you know getting talked about enough is that we could be looking at you know the next truly great American director, right. and he most likely is going to win for La La Land, and I think uh, people should recognize. <laughs> yeah, and he's you want to you know I've been sort of watching interviews like you have. Um, and you want to like find a fault in him, but God, he's he's freaking humble. He's yeah, he's really humble. Right. Yeah, yeah. And modest, and and just loves movies and cinema. Like you said, he's a student of the history of cinema, clearly, and you know wants to make these sort of throwback feeling, get back to old Hollywood, sort of like human drama and with with like whimsical obviously la la land is very whimsical and song and dance and i guess it's categorized as a musical but um yeah he's just a force and whiplash was amazing you should definitely check that out if you haven't seen it um yeah so it's hard to argue and uh i would i would be a little surprised if he didn't win best director but uh, yeah. Oh yeah, I would be shocked. And, and like you said, it, it it could be the next Paul Thomas Anderson, who a lot of people consider sort of the most creative American director working. I guess um, his movies are a little more like Stanley Kubrick, as as sort of Damien Chazelle is more like the more like not pop. Crowd please. Yeah, n- yeah, you know, not yeah, pop, yeah. but a little more like relatable or like uh, more. Uh, <laughs> I don't accessible. Know. Yeah, more sellable to a studio, I guess. Uh, so yeah, um, right. that's a really good point, and I'm glad you brought him up. Um, look, I have a question for you. Do you want to talk about? Or go well, real go quick. Uh, what's what's something that you're hoping? What's like the one award that you're really pushing for, and you you hope to see win? Just quickly. Um, let me see here. I mean. Not that we just spoke about him, but I, I do hope that Damien Giselle wins for for best director. Sure. I think he deserves it, and he he directs the hell out of that movie. Mm-hmm. I think I, I'm I'll get to La La Land a bit later when we talk about our five favorite movies of last year. But I would say you know for that, um, and yeah, I mean I think uh, Mara Shaw, uh, Mara Ali, yeah, can I pronounce that? For Moonlight was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think he he'll definitely win. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not a, there's not a category, I don't know, this year that I'm like super emotionally attached to, like I need this person to win right. maybe as passive, you know, unlike past years, but mm-hmm. yeah. What about, what about okay. you? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, it sort of brings me, my answer to this question brings us to our five favorite films of 2016 list, which we both wanted to quickly go over yeah let's do a a, do a rundown yeah so we wanted to give you guys a a little taste everybody listening a little taste of our i mean it's hard to say that this is our our sort of movie taste uh it's it's sort of simplifying things we we both see a ton of movies um and expose ourselves to as much content as possible but just to give you a little bit of sense of what we like uh, we wanted to give you our five favorite films from 2016 so i will start and so my answer to the question of what i'm hoping for at the academy awards my favorite movie of last year is was moonlight uh directed by barry jenkins uh 
amazingly emotional film. Um, hoping it wins Best Picture. I'm sure it will get some votes. It's going to be tough to beat La La Land, but I absolutely loved Moonlight and highly recommend it to everybody. Uh, my number two for the year is La La Land, uh, directed <laughs> by <laughs> the aforementioned Damien Chazelle. Um, enough said. Uh, number three, Manchester by the Sea, uh, directed by Kenneth Lonergan and written by Kenneth Lonergan. Um, stars Casey Affleck, Michelle Williams. Um, it's an amazing, I'm sure people have heard it's a downer. You know, it's pretty sad film. Uh, the content subject matter is pretty deep and dark at times, but it's actually, I found it to be quite funny, um, in a strange way and, (laughs) and paced very interestingly. Uh, that's why I would also, give that nod for the best original screenplay. Just the way that it was structured was really interesting. Uh, Kenneth Lonergan did a great job with that. Um, so number four, I have Arrival, which was the sci-fi feature directed by uh, Denis Villeneuve. Or Villeneuve. Um, nice nice pronunciation Thank there. you. Um, Nailed it. <laughs> who is known for Sicario and uh, what else is he what else did he do? He's doing the uh, upcoming Blade Runner right, sequel, right? Which with, we're really uh, excited about coming this year, featuring our our favorite Ryan Gosling. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. So Arrival was a great movie this year. Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner star in it. Uh, it's based off a short story, really interesting sci-fi movie. Um, and my number five was really tough. So this list, obviously. No big surprises. Uh, they happen. All five happen to be nominated for Best Picture, which is a little, you know, that's tough. Uh, I wanted, I wanted it to not be the case, but you know, they they all are nominated for Best Picture, so it's a little boring this year. But it's just I, I tried my best, and this is my my honest opinion. So, uh, Hell or High Water is coming in at number five for me, uh, directed by David McKenzie. Uh, starring Chris Pine, Ben Foster, Jeff Bridges. Uh, it's a really, really cool, like simplified story, uh, Western feel, um, just about a, a couple of brothers who go on this bank robbing venture. Uh, and it's just, I loved the structure of the movie and it's simple. It, it, the type of movie you don't see very often anymore, I would say. Um, and my number six bonus uh, favorite quote-unquote movie of the year is episode 9 and 10 of Game of Thrones season 6, Battle of the Bastards oh. and the Winds of oh. Winter because <laughs> that may have been my favorite movie of the year although it was a show. So two two episodes, number 9 and 10 of Game of Thrones season 6. Loved it. Awesome. So yeah, my kind of running through my five favorite movies of the year. And, you know, just to let you know, Rob and I did not share these lists with each other no. beforehand. And uh, coincidentally, my five are completely different. Or there, There's no overlap it's here. Perfect. Are, are five completely different films and some that I've mentioned already in this this episode. Um, with the exception of La La Land, I believe, right? You, you had La La Land in your top five? Yeah, number two. Yeah, okay. All right, so there was one there, but the other ones are are new. So anyway, number one is OJ Made in America, uh, directed by Ezra Edelman. So this is a supremely well-made and comprehensive documentary. It's it's nearly eight hours long, but 
every minute is essential in this. It's insanely well-researched. They get every single interview you'd ever want in this story about OJ's life. So it tells the complete arc from when he was a star running back at USC through his infamous trial up into him being arrested in Las Vegas and where he currently is now in jail. It's truly an American tale. It's about race, fame, media, the legal system. And it's a masterpiece. I honestly do not need to say anything more. 10 out of 10, OJ Made in America. Next movie is La La Land, directed by Damien Chazelle, uh, which Rob had on his list. Uh, So as I mentioned, you know, screw the backlash. This was a wonderful movie-going experience. It it reminded me of the type of experience you can only have at the movie theater, something that TV can't replace, or at least not yet. And it's extremely well-directed. I love the way the movie looked. It had really inventive camera work. I love the way uh, Los Angeles was portrayed, the way they used uh, different colors and lighting in the film. Uh, It was just beautiful to look at. And I think there was a great balance of playing homage to the old-school musical, but it also... uh, felt very modern at the same time so i think that was a really like delicate tightrope to balance yeah. and I, I think they did that well really well and uh ryan Gosling and emma stone uh they're super charismatic and charming and likable in the movie great performances and the closing se- uh, sequence in that film oh the last 10 minutes really crushed. really elevate the entire thing uh so number three was rogue one directed by gareth edwards so Bringing Star Wars into the fold, this is actually my third favorite Star Wars movie ever behind A New Hope and Empire, and I I really loved how uh, singular the story was. It's really just about this this mission of obtaining the plans to the Death Star. It's very focused, and uh, the stakes are are really high in the story, so it adds a ton of weight to the crew's mission to steal these plans. Uh, The cinematography is amazing. I love what what Edwards did with the the sense of scale, kind of the angles chosen, and it, it really breathed new life into the iconic look of the Star Wars universe and I I get some of the criticisms of this movie of the characters being a bit stale but that didn't take away that much for me I I think you care about the handful of key characters enough and it's really a war movie I mean it really puts the war in Star Wars um it's there are sequences that totally reminded me of something like Black Hawk Down or Saving Private Ryan not necessarily as intense, but in terms of the way the action is staged and the way the events unfold. And the movie takes its chances. Uh, it makes decisions that no other Star Wars movie has ever taken. And I don't want to spoil anything, but if anyone's seen that, I think people know what I'm talking about. It also has the best uh, best Darth Vader scene of all time. Again, if you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that is exactly, I think, what everyone wants out of Darth Vader, that scene towards the end. In the last 45 minutes in general are cinematic bliss. I mean, it's the best prolonged action sequence in Star Wars history. So Rogue One gets my number three in my top five. Uh, number four, quickly, it's uh, Everybody Wants Some by Richard Linklater. So mm. this movie is basically Dazed and Confused, which was also made by Linklater, but set in the opening weekend of college in 1980s Texas. There's great chemistry in this movie with a bunch of unknown actors. Uh, it's a really large ensemble cast, but there are characters, you know, these are people you want to spend time with. It feels very comfortable. They're very likable. People you just want to spend, you know, a few hours with in this movie. The uh, Everybody Wants Some is very funny. It has its moments of sweetness, like Dazed and Confused, and it's really just about that camaraderie you have in that opening weekend of college. There's an awesome 80s soundtrack, and like I said, it completely taps in to that time where, you know, it's before classes start, everyone's coming back, there's new faces, but, you know, familiar faces, and it just really gets into the uh, the essence of that opening weekend, which, you know, you and I can 
both relate to back when we yeah. were in, in college at Radford. And uh, <laughs> even though it takes place in the 80s, I think any era can relate to it, um, including ours. So super enjoyable. You can kind of just turn your mind off and relax with Everybody Wants Some. So that was uh, my fourth favorite of last year. And then rounding it off was uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane directed by Dan Trachenberg. So this was essentially a uh, side sequel or indirect sequel to 2008's Cloverfield. So it came out in March of last year, had some really good buzz, but got lost in the shuffle once the summer blockbuster started to drop. I think if it were released in the middle of the summer, it could have been a smash hit, especially considering how bad and how kind of unoriginal uh, this past summer was for movies. I think this would have kind of stuck out like a bright light and would have been something that really attracted audiences. Um, it basically takes place in one location with only three characters. I really enjoyed how stripped down it was. It's great at building suspense and almost kind of has like Alfred Hitchcock like tension at times. And uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Goodman, John Goodman. Oh man, John Goodman. I was thinking, you know, okay. I was combining Jeff, Go- <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Goldblum. And Je- yeah, oh, okay. it's been a lot of Je- we, we, you know we're big Jeff Goldblum fans. So that was a man. <laughs> yeah. So John Goodman, he's perfect. He's terrifying. Like I said, it's directed by Dan Trachtenberg, who also did the uh, playtest episode of season three of Black Mirror, which I thought was really good. Ooh, and I think he's a really yeah, I think he's a really interesting young director to keep your eye on for what he does next. So those are my favorite. You have Rob's favorite. Uh, I hope this gives you a you know a decent sense of you know how our tastes are. And uh, we're looking forward to this upcoming year of movies. And now we want to talk about some music to end the episode. So yes. having said that, I um, want to say that last year was was really a great, great year for music. I think there were m- tons of major releases from some of the industry's biggest names, whether it was Kanye, Chance, Beyonce, Radiohead, etc. And, you know, this year we haven't had a, a bombshell album drop yet or one that's really stood out to us. So we decided to instead share a few of our favorite songs from the year so far. So we're going to play a snippet of each and kind of just tell you quickly what we like about them. And all these tracks should be available on your streaming service of choice, whether that's you know Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Google Play. And, you know, let us know uh, what your favorites are by tweeting at us at uh, Must Go Faster Pod. You know, we're going to start a Spotify channel soon and would love to incorporate your choices into that. So the first song we're going to listen to is from the indie rock band Future Islands. Uh, let's have a listen to their new single, Ran. So that was uh, Ran off uh, the Future Islands upcoming album, The Far Field. So what I really love about this song is is the bass line and the verses, which I think is kind of the sonic core of it. I, I love the progression, and it, it really makes you feel good. I think it's a song you, you can dance to. It's simply constructed. It has just the right amount of, of sonic elements, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those songs that I obsessively listen to about a hundred times in a row after hearing it, it was one of those cases, which I'm sure you can relate to Rob. Like yeah. you get latched onto a song and you literally don't want to hear anything else. I mean, you could have said like, Oh, uh, here's a lost Beatles song. Like, Screw <laughs> that. I want to hear ran by future islands. That's all. And, um, you know, one of those songs I just kind of became obsessed with when I first heard it. And, uh, I just also want to shout out the, the lead singer of future islands, oh. this guy, uh, Samuel Herring, who really sings his heart out both on record and live. And I think he really, 
allows his lyrics to take on a certain emotional weight. And I, I highly recommend watching a few videos on YouTube of him performing. So they did this song, Ran, on uh, on Jimmy Fallon recently. And it was a very emotional performance. He has a very unique stage presence. It's this, it's hard to describe unless you've seen it. It's a little creepy, but it's very engaging. And you get the sense that, you know, he means well. He's just very passionate about what he does. Cool. And uh, Future Islands actually broke through. Uh, a few years ago when they performed on Letterman back in 2014. And that clip went viral. One, because it was a great song, but mainly because of the dance moves that this this front man does, Samuel Herring. So that is uh, Ran from Future Islands. Uh, So be sure to check that out. One of my favorite tracks of the year so far. So now Rob's going to talk a little bit about Rent Money by Future. Let's first listen to uh, a snippet of that song. I just lit my wrist up, I need some more attention She didn't wanna play fair, I put her on suspension I put a key on Greyhound, now I'm in a new dimension Over the 25, he tryna take some off the sentence I was petrified, you know my right wrist authentic I can glorify, that Richard Mille cost 250 I'm a big dog, it ain't no sense of holding yeah, so uh, this is my first choice for uh, favorite songs of the year, Rent Money uh, by Future, off of his new album that came out actually just recently, uh, February 17th, called Aptly Named Future, in all caps. Right. Creative uh, name. Really enough went out, enough went, said. Really went out on a limb there. <laughs> enough said. Uh, yeah, so this is the type of song that kind of makes you want to go back to college into a dark, dank basement, you know, sort of drinking a a lime green beverage out of a plastic storage container that somebody concocted and there's random fruit (laughs) bobbing up and down. Uh, And oh yeah, it's just the type of song there. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That, that brings everybody back. But uh, yeah, it, it just makes you instantly sort of start dancing with your shoulders, you know, and just like bobbing. It's just, (laughs) it's just everything you want out of a, a rap song. I, 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 it's the first song off of the album, um, and it just came out, so I haven't listened to the entire album yet. But uh, yeah, this song is just a really good kickstart to uh, a, you know an interesting rap album. Uh, yeah, so I can confirm that this is in fact a banger. It's well. a banger. It's I'm a it's a well. certified club <laughs> banger. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, number two, what is your number two song of the year? Right, yeah. So, yeah, my, my next track is uh, from an artist called uh, SZA. It's pronounced SZA. It looks as S-Z-A, and it's called Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. So let's have a listen to that real quick. Somebody get the tacos. Somebody spark the blood. Let's start the narcos off in episode one. Bring the gin, get the juice. Bring the sin, get that too. Oh, shut up. No, you're my favorite. So that was uh, Drew Barrymore by SZA, and it's the first single off her new album called Control. And what I really dig about this song is the vocal range. Uh, there's times where she's almost rapping. Uh, you know, it's very melodic. She can get very high-pitched in her vocal range. She can get very low in the register. And she almost kind of sounds like Sia or Rihanna at times, but also, you know, like herself. At the same time, I really love the organ and and subtle electric guitar that kind of strings throughout the entire song. It's a blend of genres. I would say it's 
ultimately pop, but there's elements of reggae and hip-hop, and they're really fun lyrics, and it's a, it's a good song to sing along to. I think it's a kind of has like a laid-back barbecue summer jam feel, but you can still, you know, it came out in the winter, and you can still rock to it then, and, mm. you know, once the weather warms up, I think this is like a good background barbecue type song that you can throw on that people you know no one's gonna like argue with cool and uh i yeah i really i really dig this song kind of like the the future islands one it's something that i obsessively listened to upon first hearing it i do want to point out i'm not necessarily a fan of the actress drew barrymore but (laughs) i am a fan of this song so uh yeah that is drew barrymore by sizza and uh, Rob, yeah, do you want to give us some uh, background on your your next selection? Yeah, so my next song is off of Ryan Adams' new album uh, called, what is it called? Oh, Prisoner. Uh, so that also just came out February 17th, um, so it's very new. Um, and this song that I love is called To Be Without You. Let's take a listen. So yeah, this is uh, it's number six on Ryan Adams' new album *Prisoner*, uh, which just came out, like I said. And yeah, it's just a really good, you know, uh, acoustic guitar sort of twangy, upbeat. Uh, it's a great vocal performance by Ryan Adams. Some people, you know, sort of feel that he doesn't have the best uh, singing voice per se, but he's a really interesting songwriter and does a lot of great things with his his music and has sort of had a wide ranging career. Um, yeah, but it's just a simple feel good track. Uh, and it's, it's, I mean, it's about sort of missing a lost lover, I think. Uh, but it still has sort of an upbeat feel to it. Um, the album itself is really good. I highly recommend this new album from Ryan Adams. Um, there are a few other tracks that I loved off it. Uh, do you still love me? The opening track, uh, prisoner the the title track uh yeah so definitely this song uh, to be without you was my favorite off the album and uh what's your what's your last song ben so i am going to select a song from rick ross um so it's called i think she liked me let's, yeah right let's listen to a snippet from it now Things this level storytelling. Who else could flip a chorus in a 40 million? I didn't cons with Leonardo DiCaprio. While I don't bond, pray I go to trial rapido. Eight felonies telling me, want to give me life. Every nut I bust, really, I gotta do it twice. Ricky Ronaldo, really, when I'm in Portugal, I pull a yacht out this week. So yeah, that was uh, Rick Ross with his new single, I Think She Like Me. And, you know, in my opinion, I think Ross has become slightly underrated. I mean, I would compare him to Future in that he kind of does, he's very one-dimensional. You know, I'm not going to say he's some great, you know, expansive musical artist that like challenges, you know, what rap is, but he does kind of the same thing over and over again, but he does that one thing supremely well. And I'll admit the hook of this song, which is uh, sung by T.Y. Dolla Sign, is just okay, but (laughs) I think uh, Rick Ross's flow sounds really great over this kind of production. There's a soul sample from the stylistics, uh, and there's a nice glockenspiel in the song. I don't know if you heard that, but... Shouts to the glock. Right, yeah, of course. I I was the king of the glockenspiel in elementary school, (laughs) uh, and it was one of my, my, uh, you know, 
favorite instruments to perform. And I, I, always, I don't know, it just has such like a nice tone to it uh, when it's used in rap, when it's used in pop. And I really, I'm really just giving love to the Glockenspiel right now. Uh, I also uh, love the way he says out in, out in cans with Leonardo DiCaprio, uh-huh. um, which is a, a cool name drop. And I think just Rick Ross in general with his lyrics, I think he just provides like really good sense of imagery in a way. Like mm-hmm. I straight up enjoy listening to the details of Rick Ross's travels, and uh, <laughs> this song will make you feel will make you feel rich. Just straight up, we'll perfect. Make you feel rich, and everybody who wants feel to like feel that. rich. <laughs> right, right. So uh, check out. I think she likes me. Uh, it's off his upcoming album called "Rather You Than Me." And uh, yeah, Rob, what's your what's your third selection here? So my last song is called "Love Do What It Do" uh, by Robert Randolph and the Family Band off of his new album "Got Soul." Uh, so let's take a listen to that real quick. No, 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 no. Ask me what I need If we're gonna make it I'm just gonna say it Gonna say it Love me like your favorite song Like you love your whiskey strong So you probably noticed that uh, this song features Darius Rucker, the vocals from uh, Darius Rucker, and he is known best for being the lead singer of Hootie and the Blowfish, but he, since then he's had sort of a uh, revival as a country artist um, or sort of like a folk, uh, you know, folksy, uh, folk rock. Americana. Yeah, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but uh, just an amazing voice. Uh, I love everything that he does. Um, and this this album by Robert Randolph and the Family Band is, is really guitar heavy. He's a guitar soul uh, sort of like jazz guitar uh, musician and the whole album features great uh, guitar playing and he has a great voice himself um, but yeah this is uh, probably my favorite track off the album and it's getting a lot of critical acclaim and it's pretty popular right now um, so yeah if you like Hootie and the Blowfish or you like Darius Rucker um, definitely check out this album Got Soul uh, and this song uh, Love Do What It Do <clears throat> by Robert Randolph and the Family Band. So uh, that's it for the first episode of Must Go Faster. Uh, thanks so much to everyone for listening. And uh, just a reminder to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and SoundCloud at Must Go Faster Pod. Our website is mustgofasterpod.com. You can email us at mgfpod at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or through our RSS feed. And uh, if you're really feeling... Uh, very nice. You can rate and review us on iTunes. That's super important to help us climb the rankings and get the word out. Uh, so, yeah. And, yeah, so uh, next episode we will focus on the Oscars and do sort of a recap of the award show that uh, is airing this Sunday on ABC. Um, and we'll also have some more recommendations for you. And in the words of Jeff Goldblum from Independence Day, time's up. Time's up. Time's up.